So welcome to a new episode of Terms of Service. And today we're very lucky to have uh, Santiago Balaguer with us, uh, who is joining us from Berlin. And we're going to be talking about Polkadot. Um, so Santiago, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing these days? For sure. Thank you, Alex, very much for, for having me here. Um, so, yeah, as you said very well, my name is Santiago. I'm actually originally from Argentina, although I'm right now living in Berlin. I work in a company here in Berlin that's called Parity Technologies. And Parity is a company that was contracted by the World3 Foundation to actually pursue the development of Polkadot. So I've been at this company for the last three years. And mainly what I do is I work with uh, aspiring projects to become uh, parachains or to provide any sort of infrastructure to the Polkadot ecosystem to help them build successfully and become hopefully successful projects in the future. Cool. So um, your your involvement in Polkadot, I'm assuming, comes from uh, having a background in Web3 or uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in working in this space? Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because uh, the answer is no. Um, I was not directly involved in, in World 3 in the past. In fact, I was, I was when in Argentina, I was working into something very, in something very different. Uh, I worked at this company called Blockchain Gamble uh, for like 10 years. But then uh, I got like a little bit involved into World 3 as a lurker, trying to see what was out there, and it really caught my attention. So I started applying for a bunch of jobs and I was not very successful, I might say. Um, in, in essence, the feedback that I was getting was that my overall like product management skills and the thing that I've been doing, I'm an engineer by trade, not a, not a like computer science engineer or computer science degree, but more of like a, I don't know, it's called, in Argentina, it's called industrial engineering, the degree. Um, so I, all of that was okay, but I, I lacked like a lot of like technical knowledge to to of these companies. So I decided to study. I, I won a scholarship to study web development in in Lisbon to sort of like close that gap a little bit, at least not to be afraid of GitHub, I'd say. And when I when I got that, I, I then managed to get a job actually as an intern. So I restarted my career all over again at Parity. And this was yeah like three years ago. I've heard of uh, parody mentioned a lot um, in different conversations around Web3. It seems like it's a company that has a big role in mm -hmm. the development of some key things around Web3. Could you talk a little bit about parody and, and where it comes from and what it is? Yeah, so parity actually has been around for a very long time. Parity has been funded uh, founded by... Gavin Wood, uh, amongst other people. Gavin is one of the co-founders of Ethereum as well. And back then, the very first thing that Parity did was developing an alternative uh, client to Ethereum, right? So we had another node implementation for Ethereum. Ethereum is written in Go, and, and um, Parity just rewrote that implementation on Rust. And uh, in fact, this is a fun story that not a lot of people know, but uh, there was this uh, attack uh, a couple of years ago called the Shanghai attack to the Ethereum network, where all the nodes that had the Go implementation of Ethereum went down. And if it weren't for that part, the Rust implementation that had back then around 20% of the network, Ethereum would have gone down. Right. So thanks to the fact that this parity uh, node implementation didn't have that bug because of the way that it was written, and the network kept on producing blocks. Uh, yeah. So that is where it started. And then Parity uh, was um, commanded by, again, the Web3 Foundation to actually start building on Polkadot. And that is what it's, it has been doing in the last, I'd say, yeah, like five years, more or less. Okay, so so my sort of, maybe I have a, a, a not a clear picture of the origin of Polkadot. My understanding was that uh, Gavin Wood, who was one of the co-founders of Ethereum, felt that the future of blockchains needed to be more mm -hmm. multi-chain and decided to create Polkadot. But uh, are you saying that Polkadot was more of a, came out of a request from the Web3 Foundation to develop a new blockchain or, or how would that, what was that origin of Polkadot? Okay, yeah. So now, now this word structures get a little bit um, messy, but Web3 Foundation is also founded by uh, Gav as well uh, and Gavin, when 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 he was at Ethereum, uh, he decided to to build this network called Polkadot, which, as you said very well, is a network of interconnected blockchains. 
And that is when the foundation was created to actually like fulfill this mission. But the foundation itself hired Parity as another company for Parity to actually work on the development, right? Uh, but it's very true what you're saying. Uh, Gavin is the founder, one of the founders of the Polkadot Network, which has this mission of connecting heterogeneous sovereign chains uh, under this umbrella of shared security that we call Polkadot. Okay, cool. So I think maybe we can talk a little bit about a little bit more about what Polkadot is. Um, so from from what I understand, one of the key characteristics of Polkadot is that it's essentially as people refer to it as a layer zero, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how does that how does that work? And what's the sort of architecture of Polkadot? Yeah, this is where, where Polkadot is bringing this sort of like new idea to this blockchain world, right? So we, we came all the way from Bitcoin, which was a very, uh, I'm going to say simple, but not simple in terms of easy, simple in terms of what you can actually do with the network, which is this idea of like transferring balances from one place to another one in a completely trustless way, right? Bitcoin has had an uptime of 99.999%. Anybody can Google that. And it's absolutely amazing, in my opinion. Then Ethereum came with the same idea by saying, hey, why don't we add a layer of customizability to this um, peer in a, a network of peer computers uh, and try to execute uh, sovereign programs within one same ecosystem. And then Parity Pokero came into play by saying, instead of doing this, why don't we go one extra mile, right? We will go one extra step and we try to connect sovereign chains themselves, right? So when we say that Pokero is a layer zero, what we mean is that it's a center layer that connects a lot of layer one blockchains all together and that is what we're trying to achieve all these layer ones are fully heterogeneous they have full control of what these blockchains actually do and what poker provides to this is a service of shared security and the possibility of all these chains to interconnect to each other actually back then uh, when ethereum was super super popular we're talking about 2017 2018 the poker was still not yet around uh, of course it was being developed but it was not yet launched a little bit before that actually people were actually forking Ethereum and running their own networks, right? So that is what we're, they, they were trying to do in the past. But that has a very big problem. For these networks to be successfully decentralized and secure, you need, um, you have a, a, a kickstart problem, right? You need uh, to put a lot of capital and you have need to have a lot of community engagement to have a um, fully decentralized network of computers or nodes that actually run your code, right? And that is very difficult to do. But at the same time, all these projects needed that extra bandwidth and that extra layer of customizability that your own blockchain gives you. And that is what Polkadot uh, is trying to solve. So maybe you could, to, to, to dive into this idea a little bit more, could you uh, describe how this relationship between layer zero and layer one is mm -hmm. different from the relationship between layer one and layer two in the Ethereum world where I guess we would say Ethereum is a layer one and for example, optimism is a layer two. Correct. Um, how is that different from Polkadot and one of the, let's say, uh, parachains that run on top of Polkadot? Mm -hmm. So the key difference here, um, Alex, is the way that information is being shared by these different layers. Right. So uh, the, the, the usual connection between layer twos and, and, and Ethereum as a layer one on, 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 on the Ethereum ecosystem is, is quite centralized today. This is a, a sequence of, of relayers uh, that are controlled by the companies running these layer twos. And that brings basically a point of, of failure to this architecture, right? Still a very interesting thing that we're seeing uh, working out. And eventually I think that these relayers will start to decentralize and, and, and try to go into that route. But as it is right now, Ethereum in itself has not, be, has not been conceived as the place by which all of this and layer twos can finalize their own transactions and their own like sort of like uh, new states. On the other hand, Polkadot always had that idea from the very beginning, and that's the way that has been architecture from the get-go, uh, with this idea of separating what we call block production and block finalization. So all these layer ones are in charge of actually producing the blocks, right? They produce a block candidate, as we call it, and it's the job of the relay chain with all its, its network of validators to validate that that block that's being um 
produced by the by the parachain, as we call this later ones, is a valid one. If it is, then it's finalized, and then the parachain can continue producing blocks. If it's not, then um, yeah, the parachain cannot continue producing blocks, and there's a dispute mechanism and things start like going on to understand what the root cause is. But the main difference here is where this is all coming from, right? Apart from that, uh, as it stands right now, all layer tools are basically an extension of Ethereum. They're all running the EVM, right? The Ethereum virtual machine as a place where one can deploy your smart contracts. Whereas on Polkadot, all these layer ones are completely heterogeneous. This means that the teams have complete control over what the runtime of their chain actually does, right? And this gives a whole new layer of customizability for teams looking inside of this. In fact, one of these chains that we have decided to be EVM compatible, right? So one of these parachains, it's called Moonbeam, and they just said, okay, for my runtime, I want to be fully EVM, and people can deploy Solidity smart contracts in there as it, if it were anything else. Uh, but all, a lot of others are not choosing this route. Okay, so maybe you could clarify something. You mentioned the word parachain. Yeah. Um, could you just describe a little bit more what the sort of the nomenclature is of all these different parts of the Polkadot ecosystem? Yes. So I'll, I'll separate it into into four parts. Let's let's say to to, to start going. Polkadot is um, an ecosystem that's composed mainly of the Polkadot relay chain, which is this center layer zero that that gives off um, security and connectivity to all these power chains and all the conjunction of power chains, all the ecosystem of power chains that are all these layer one blockchains connected to this relay chain. So when we say Polkadot, what we mean is relay chain plus power chains. On the relay chain side, the nodes running the relay chain side are called validators as anywhere else. And on the power chain side, the nodes are called collators, okay? So in, in essence, in, in very big terms, have these very important four components, uh, the relay chain with its validators and the power chains with its, with its collators. So let's say that a block is created on a parachain and it, mm -hmm. and it, it we want to get this block, this block validated. Um, it, it's created on the parachain, but it goes to the relay chain for its final validation, correct? Correct. So, so in that case, um, is there any sort of, uh, let's say, sacrifice to speed based on the fact that you have to sort of jump between two chains? Or is there some kind of optimization that's done mm -hmm. for the transactions to happen as quickly as possible? Defining speed in, the, in these terms is, is kind of tricky because speed can mean a lot of things, right? When we talk about Transactions per second, for example, the, the normal TPS that we're used to actually happens more on the call on the on the parachain side, right? How many of these transactions the parachain can actually include in a block will sort of determine or will be a great component of TPS, right? Then you have all the finalization part, that is the part that the relay chain gives to the parachain. To put in perspective, uh, today uh, parachains have um, a finalization of 12 seconds. Every 12 seconds, you are 100% sure that the state will not be reverted. Whereas on this layer two, on Ethereum that we were uh, talking about before, um, the optimistic rollups have seven days for finalization, right? So that is sort of like the difference right now between a system that was conceived like this from the from the get-go and a, a system like Ethereum that it's, will go probably in that direction, but it will take some time to get to the sort of like uh, same level of, of finalization. Okay, cool. So so there's a sort of a optimized uh, transaction speed. So you're not dealing with the same issues as uh, you have with Ethereum or with the, the layer twos for a full finality. Obviously, mm -hmm. people are talking about um, sort of ZK chains that are going to mm -hmm. accelerate this uh, this finality, but we're not quite there yet, it seems. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what I'm wondering is, um, could you share uh, any thoughts on why this architecture was chosen and what were the sort of thoughts maybe mm -hmm. in the in the originator's mind as to why this kind of idea of a layer zero plus these uh, parachains was a good idea and um, what were the sort what was the reasoning behind that? Yeah. So the way that I usually conceptualize this in my head is is as follows, right? So you have you have this need of uh, actual project owners or people like developing their own projects to have full sovereignty of their own chains, right? That's the need that we're going after. In this need, you have two main problems. The first one is how do you actually have a chain 
that is fully decentralized and fully secure from day zero and stays like that for a very long time. And the second one is how do how do you actually exchange value with other chains out there, which is more of a problem than what people think usually in the blockchain space. A lot of the bridges that people have used, and we've seen some hacks like last year and the year before, they're interesting, they work, they help like transmit value from one place to another, but they're not actually what we should be looking into for like full the future proof systems, right? So when you start from this premise of, okay, we need people to have secure heterogeneous blockchains that talk to each other, there was no actual solution out there, right? There was no way of doing this. And what Polkadot came to do was it leverages this technology called WebAssembly that we can talk about it afterwards if you want. But by leveraging WebAssembly, then what it could do is it could store on chain the actual validation function, the state transition functions of these power chains, right? So state transition functions means um, what whatever extrinsics, whatever functions actually run to change the state of a given system, right? To go from A to B, you need to execute C. All of that will be stored on the relay chain itself and protected by this decentralized network of validators. So by by leveraging that, then all of a sudden, the relay chain itself could finalize with a with a 100% degree of confidence the actual state of the power chain. So now it would keep this sort of like shared security, right? And by connecting and giving the service to a lot of a lot of teams, all these people, all these different power chains, all of a sudden had the same level of security, which is the level of security of the relay chain. And once you're confident enough that the chain that you have next door, that you know nothing about, right? Because that's important. You don't know them, but you know that they have the same level of security as you. Then you're confident enough to start exchanging value with them. If this two systems weren't uh, would not be having the same level of security, then all of a sudden, the insect, the less secure chain is an attack vector to the more secure chain. So in order for heterogeneous the systems to actually share value between each other, they need the same level of security, the same, the same guarantee that the other one is as secure as themselves. And by doing all of this, then you could start exchanging value through the relay chain, which is sort of like the connector of all this fabric of power chains uh, between all these heterogeneous systems. That makes sense. So uh, you mentioned just now uh, WebAssembly, which mm -hmm. I, I actually was familiar with WebAssembly more from the graphics world where we were able, once I was working on a project where we needed to create a sort of a, a browser-based interactive experience, and uh, and the developers I was working in, working with, um, uh, essentially chose to do it in WebAssembly. So that's how mm -hmm. I'm familiar with it. But I didn't realize that. Well, maybe you could explain in more detail what WebAssembly is and how it's used in the context of uh, Polkadot. For sure. So WebAssembly is actually a technology that has been put forward by, I think it's the WebAssembly Foundation or whatever it is, that it's actually a consortia of the main browser that, browsers that we know. So Safari, Firefox, Chrome, and Edge from Microsoft all came together and, and said, okay, we need a very powerful system that, uh, or a very, very powerful like framework that would allow us to run um I'm sorry, a very lightweight um, framework that would allow us to, to run very powerful systems on the browser. That was the, that was the aim of WebAssembly, and that's how it was conceived. And if you look into things like going into the design world, and I don't know how familiar you are with Figma, but Figma, which a lot of people use a lot, is all WebAssembly based. And the sheer amount of things that one can do with Figma right now would have been impossible like 10 years ago. And that is the power of WebAssembly. So all of a sudden, in a very lightweight um sort of like a binary instruction, binary code, you can run very powerful uh, applications. And for but, blockchains, yeah. Sorry, are they being run in the browser itself? Correct, or, yes. Or, okay, so the browser is doing the heavy lifting. Yes. Okay. But again, this this is done in a way that this WebAssembly does not need a lot of power to actually execute its, its outcome, right? It's very mm -hmm. lightweight. And okay. that is where the magic resides, right? And and for blockchains, this is very important because all of a sudden, what this opened was the possibility of actually storing this on chain. Storing anything on chain is 
It's very expensive, right? One would need to avoid that at all costs as much as possible. Because if not, this decentralized network of peers gets very, very bloated. And by leveraging WebAssembly, all of a sudden, you could start storing these pieces of information on chain. In fact, Polkadot, Polkadot is being built by this framework called Substrate. Polkadot, thanks to Substrate, has this concept of forkless upgrades. So if you go into legacy systems like Bitcoin and Ethereum, whenever these systems need to improve themselves, whenever they need to do an upgrade, they need to fork the chain, right? They need to have at least X percent of their nodes running a new software. On Polkadot, the runtime of Polkadot lives on chain. And these nodes, what actually do is they execute the latest binary that's stored on chain. So now through Polkadot's governance model, what one can do is actually suggest an upgrade and upgrade the network without needing to fork anything, right? Without asking these validators to run a new program on their computers. To put it in perspective, Polkadot last year has had as many updates as iOS on Apple, right? So it's very, very important for these systems and this also applies for parachains, by the way, to have the flexibility to upgrade themselves frequently and follow the needs of their users, right? And it all lives on chain. But it's quite interesting the way that it actually works. And it's all powered thanks to WebAssembly. Okay. That's super interesting. I had no idea. Um, so another common term that I know mm -hmm. people speak a lot about when, when speaking about Polkadot, is, you mentioned it, is this programming language Rust, which is, yes. I think, somewhat more contemporary and flexible than uh, uh, some of the other languages like Solidity, for example. Mm -hmm. it, it, what was the sort of, what were the defining factors to choose that language? Uh, and, and is it used uh, across the board for smart contracts and everything? Or, or where does it get in, where is it involved in the Polkadot architecture? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I was not part of the decision making when when Gav and, and the founder team decided to go with Rust. But in, in hindsight, looking looking now into how the blockchain world is developing, I might say I, I have to say that that was a very smart decision to do. We're seeing a lot of systems going that way, like go to Cosmos, Wasm and Cosmos, right? That's Rust as well. Uh, I'm sorry, that's why I said that's on Rust. Uh, but uh, no, actually, yeah, that's Rust as well, compared to WebAssembly. Then you can go to um, uh, Solana. It's on Rust-based as well. And we're seeing a lot of like this new systems coming around, uh, around building mainly with Rust, right? So Rust has a lot of properties as a modern um, programming language. I'm, I'm speaking here from what I from what I hear, but I'm not technical enough to yeah. to to describe the actual things, but has to do with memory safety and, and things like that that made it a, makes it a very secure mm -hmm. uh, programming language. And again, when you're dealing with decentralized systems, security is of the essence uh, and, and Rust can provide a, a very high level of security here for, for these programs, right? So that is why it was chosen back then, I think. Uh, and, and in hindsight, again, it's, it's proven to be a very smart choice because a lot of systems are going into that direction. <laughs> When it comes to building an ecosystem, um, Polkadot and its parachains are all built today with this framework called Substrate. Substrate, think of Substrate as a modular way of building blockchains, right? Uh, with Substrate, you can build parachains, you can build Polkadot, you can build your own chain that lives by yourself. Uh, but these are not smart contracts, right? This is a very specific uh, way of building chains. These chains can support smart contracts as well. So the Polkadot Relay chain, as we were saying before, does not have any smart contract capabilities. All of these lie within the parachains themselves. So if one were to deploy smart contracts, one needs to go to one of the parachains and pick the one that serves your needs best and deploy your smart contracts there. For example, one of the, as I was saying before, one of the smart contracts uh, platforms out there, we can call them app factories, whatever we want, is Moonbeam, which is 100% solidity based. So if you have Solidity smart contracts and you want to be on the Polkadot ecosystem, go to Moonbeam, for example. There are others, but you can go to Moonbeam and deploy your, your smart contracts there. Or you can go to this other one called Astar and do the same. And Astar does not only support WebAssembly, I'm sorry, Solidity, but they also support Inc., which is a Rust-based programming language for smart contracts. Um, so the, the, the sort of like 
possibilities that one has to do things on, on Pokerot really occur on different levels of the stack, right? You could build your own layer one if you have the capability and the need of doing that. You can build on top of one of these layer ones, on top of one of these power chains, a smart contract. These smart contracts could be on Solidity. They could be on Inc. Ideally, tomorrow, they could be on other languages as well. We'll see. But that is sort of like the the spectrum of things that one can do on, on the Polkadot ecosystem. Okay. That makes sense. Um... And so there's, I think we, you know, you, you were mentioning substrate, which is a term that I had heard about quite a bit. Uh, there's one term that that comes up a lot, and it's it's a funny one, uh, Kusama, which mm-hmm. I guess is inspired by the the name of the artist Yayoi Kusama, mm-hmm. who used to paint a lot of polka dots. Um, <laughs> so what is Kusama, and uh, why does it exist? What what's its purpose? Kusama is. Polkadot Scannery Network, as we call it. I'll give you my reasoning why Kusama exists. Again, I was not part of the decision when this was made. Um, uh, when I joined, Kusama and Polkadot were already there. We didn't have parachains, so I am contemporary to parachains, right? I saw that thing becoming live, but Polkadot and Kusama were relaunched when I joined Parity and, and sort of like the Polkadot ecosystem. But the way that I conceptualized the need of Akusama is as follows. If you look specifically again on the relay chains themselves, if you are a token holder of DOT or Kusamas, there's a lot of things that you can do with those tokens. You can decide to participate in governance of the relay chain, unlock those tokens. You can decide to do nothing and hold them. You can decide to become a validator and, and use them as stake. You can be a nominator and again use it as stake and have them locked for X amount of time, right? There's like, you could um, build your own power chain and, and secure a power chain slot, right? And that requires you to lock funds as well. So there are like a lot of things that you need to do with your, that you could do with your token. And if you were to have Polkadot and a valueless network as a, as, as a place where people could test things out, people behave irrationally to that, right? And with this many possibilities and, and the need of like this token behaving somehow uh, following certain parameters around these different systems, you need a network that has some sort of value for people to behave rationally and to test if your hypothesis on how this will, the system will work actually pay out, right? Polkadot, for example, is a proof of stake network. So Polkadot needs people to stake their tokens for the for the chain, for the system to be secure. If all of a sudden I'm giving you a place where you can decide with no cost attained to it, whatever you want to do with your with your tokens, maybe what you would do is decide not to stake your tokens and yellow them into in, somewhere, right? That goes that is that does not allow us allows us to to test and to verify that the economic assumptions on how this uh, uh, checks and balances systems should work are working properly, right? So when we when 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 Kusama existed, Kusama allows us to allowed us to to look into okay, is the locking period uh, for people to unlock their tokens um, enough of an incentive to put them there? Should we just change these parameters a little bit? Uh, how are these like systems competing against each other to actually see that we have enough stake, for example, on 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 the staking side of things for the network to be secure and things of the sort? So Kusama is there as a sort of like a wild west where people with real value should behave sort of uh, rationally and then Polkadot is like the real network. I personally see Kusama as an instrument for Polkadot, right? The network is Polkadot and has one very specific instrument that's called Kusama. And in, in like last year, I think it was, we started seeing a lot of other ecosystems again, where tokens could have all these different uh, applications. Think about having a canary network like Kusama on their own systems as well. Because again, that would allow you to test and verify a lot of things that you would expect from users from a, holding a token that has actual value. Can you define uh, what you mean by canary network? A canary network is somewhere in between a test network and a, and a real like uh, network. Let's put it that way. Not that Kusama is not real, but it's like if if I were to like grade them, it's like you have test nets that have no value whatsoever. You have canary networks with value 
but where code probably is not as secure as on the production grade network, right? So you might have an audited code or, or some experiments out there. And then you have the production grade network where things are 100% tested and audited and things should behave as expected. So it's like a new step in this spectrum between test nets and, and, and production networks is somewhere in the middle. So could people deploy a project on Kusama and just leave it there and never upgrade fully? Or would that be ridiculous? Definitely. Definitely. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and we, we are saying that in, in the ecosystem as well. We're seeing a lot of things, actually. We're seeing people, uh, because of course, uh, winning a slot on Kusama is cheaper, right? Than winning a slot on Polkadot. Just like uh, to put a, a, an asterisk there, in order to become a parachain on Polkadot, you need to win an auction, you need to win a slot, and that allows you to connect for X amount of time, right? In Polkadot goes from three months to two years. In Kusama goes from six weeks to one year, right? So what we've seen is a lot of people competing for these slots on Kusama with less amount of actual dollar value to get connected, to get the shared security, to prove uh, to their own community their products, to iterate on the product to make it better, right? And once they had enough uh, critical mass and need, they migrated towards Polkadot. So we've seen this protocol, for example, called Kilt, want to slot on Kusama, build their projects, build their community. And once they were confident enough with, with the size of it, they want to slot on Polkadot and change their Kusama parachain and became all of a sudden a Polkadot parachain. We saw the same with two more, more this, year, this year. One is subsocial and the other one is sidegaze, for example. That path exists. We're seeing others that just say, I'm okay with Kusama. The level of security that I have here is what I need. I don't need anything more. And that's perfectly fine as well. So yes, you could definitely have a, a project deployed on Kusama and that would be totally fine. Pokera and Kusama, again, since their inception, they never broke, they never went down. They have uptimes uh, to the level of what Bitcoin has, right? So they, they're both very secure and, and good networks. So when you say that, well, let's say you win an auction on on Polkadot as a parachain yeah. and you have, let's say, a two-year uh, slot, why is it designed to only give you these time frames? Is it because if your project, let's say, doesn't work, you're out? Or what is mm -hmm. the reasoning for, for these like short windows? So actually, um, uh, that's a very good question because this is the first iteration of, of, of the way that people could potentially connect to the network, right? The entire concept be behind all of this, what, what, what Polkadot is trying to keep to the community is secure and highly available, available block space. So think of each block that the Polkadot network produces has um, a space for other chains to finalize their own blockchains and states, right? And post it there. We want that block space to be fully secure, fully available, and flexible. Right now, there's only one way of acquiring that block space, which is winning these auctions for a maximum of two years. But that is like the first iteration of the project. In the future, we would like to see a lot more things to be a lot more fluid, right? People could maybe uh, try to get a slot for 10 years or for one month or in, on a per block basis, right? Saying, okay, I, I don't need to have finality every single block that I produce because of the, the value that I have of the project that I have. I could bundle 10, 20 blocks and then finalize them all together, right? Um, so this sort of like flexibility is what our, the core team uh, that builds the parachain protocol is acti actively working on. Right now, the only way of doing that is with this three to two years three months to two years sort of slots. But the whole roadmap is to have that a lot more flexible. In fact, the immediate next step that we have in terms of a roadmap is this thing that we call path threads for now, could change the name afterwards. But it's this idea of you don't need to win a slot, but you can compete on like very, very small auctions to finalize a set of blocks on your end as well, right? So all this spectrum is what we're trying to cover. This is like the first iteration again, Parachains on Polkadot, to put as a, as a reference, have been there for like one year. Uh, yeah, one year, one year and a half, actually. Uh, a little bit less than a half, but let's say a year and a half. Uh, and we already, we already have like 50 Parachains on Polkadot, right? If you compare it to a roll-up, as we were doing at the very beginning, that's a lot more roll-ups than what Ethereum has today. Completely heterogeneous and, and, and sovereign themselves, right? So, yeah, uh, we're going to get there. That's, that's part of, of the development that we're trying to do.
So maybe it would be worth uh, talking a little bit about some examples of parachains that are mm -hmm. on Polkadot. You mentioned uh, Moonbeam and, and a few others, but uh, what are the types of projects that tend to come to Polkadot? Is it mostly DeFi or NFT or ReFi? What is, what is the sort of range of projects and what are some interesting ones you'd like to uh, maybe use as examples? Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of everything, right? Um, and, and sort of like the customizability that Substrate gives these projects allows them to build almost anything that they want, right? Of course, there are different projects that do lending, borrowing, stable coins, and all of that. You have this um, smart contract platforms like Astro and Moonbeam, where people can deploy smart contracts and build whatever they want on top of them. Um, then you have things like Kilt that I mentioned before, which is all about identity. They produce this decentralized identity that any other project can consume as well, which is also very powerful, right? Now, all of a sudden, if you win a project slot on Polkadot and you want to offer decentralized identity to users, you don't need to build it yourself. You just consume what kills your neighbor is doing, right? Because Polkadot allows you to interoperate that way. Um, recently, we announced uh, Mythica Games is coming to, to Polkadot as well. One of the first projects that they're bringing over, one of the first games is the one that has an NFL license, right? So we're talking about a, a bunch of users coming there. Then there's another project that I like a lot in the gaming space that's called Ayuna Network. Uh, the, the story behind the project is quite interesting because these guys, uh, at, at their hearts, they are game developers, right? And, and they wanted to develop like cool games on blockchains. And right now, if you look at it, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're not like amazing things built, right? Yes, you could do them, you could use them, but there's nothing like of substance there. And what they did is they got Substrate and they just put in the Substrate code um, the ability to run a Unity and Unreal uh, games on top of it, right? So now game developers that are using these tools for or frameworks for years can deploy their games as there are on a union network. Uh -huh. uh, same thing happens with, with Monsama as well. It has a, a bunch of games and they actually did what was very famous for them. They did an integration with, um, what is it, uh, with Minecraft. So you could run Minecraft on their, on their chain as well. Um, another project that comes to mind is um, the Frequency Paragene that's all about decentralized social. Uh, and, and they have this protocol called MiWi that's coming to them that has, I don't, I don't remember how many users. So really the, the spectrum of things that, that are being built in Polkadot is, is quite, quite high. Okay. Um, and do you see this like uh, a sort of uh, interest in building parachains is something that comes from a specific subset of people that are... Uh, interested in polka in the polka dot ecosystem is like what attracts people aside from obviously the the let's say the functionality of of polka dot that we've been talking about with the mm -hmm. the relay chain and and the security that comes from that are there other factors that are attractive to people to come to polka dot such as community for example or other things that uh, make it maybe more attractive than a another let's say environment like uh, another blockchain like Yes, 100%. I think that Polkadot's community is a very serious community, I'd say. And, and I, the, way they, the way that, or sort of like the conversations that I always have I always have with these teams is that when when they decide on Polkadot is because they want their projects to be here in the future, right? Polkadot has this nuance of being a future-proof system the ability to upgrade itself, all these things that have been announced as well recently with the, the, the token morphing, morphing into software and not being a security and all the work that's being done in the background. It's so that people have the confidence that Poker is here to stay, right? There, it's not Poker is not trying to, to ride any short-term way, but rather be there building long-lasting protocols. And, and that is something that this builders value a lot more than anything when you build your own chain, right? Because building your own chain requires today, and it will probably get better in the future, but today requires a bit more effort than building a smart contract. And, and when you decide to embark into this, you want or you're trying to get your project to be there for a very long time. And, and this future-proofness uh, that Polkadot has, I think that besides everything that we talked of the shared security and interoperability and all of that, I think it's a, a very big deciding deciding factor to, to all of these teams. Okay. So one of the things that this is like a, maybe a, 
a uh, let's say blue sky question, but yeah. um, like knowing this is something I've been asking myself since I discovered Polkadot uh, maybe a, a year or two ago. Uh, I've been sort of listening to people talk about it and listening to you talk about it. It seems to me that that Polkadot has a lot of advantages and a very smart architecture that, as you said, is future proof. Mm -hmm. That's pretty um, uh, fast and has the ability to be quite flexible with between Kusama and and the main uh, Polkadot chain. Um, sort of, what is the what are the things that make uh, what are the things that will make Polkadot grow more? Um, mm -hmm. Considering that it has all these advantages, because you know, just from a, uh, I'm not a developer. I don't spend a ton of time like looking at what's going on in the development fields. But I feel like if I look at, for example, Tezos or other blockchains, they seem to be getting a lot of like marketing and communication mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. Whereas Polkadot seems to be a little bit more maybe developer focused and less popular uh, in the people's mindsets. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it does seem to a certain extent to have a lot of advantages over the other uh, blockchains. So uh, what, what do you think it would take for more people to become aware of it and to use it more? Yeah, I, I definitely would like to see that as well, right? I think that all these projects being built on Polkadot um, are now in a stage where they can attract a lot of users. I think that there's a very difficult thing to balance, which is, development and users and users right so if you have a lot of development but not a lot of users then the projects themselves will just leave and if you bring a lot of users but there's nothing for them to do then the users will not come again right so this fine balance between these two things is something that's very important and as you said before if you look into the charts of active developers in ecosystem poker has been leading these charts on every single metric that you can see right after ethereum right so it's it's really a very developer and developing for a heavy ecosystem right now. But all these projects like mythical games coming into, into Polkadot and bringing all their users, it's going to make it so that the Polkadot becomes a lot more used as well. Particularly though, one thing that I personally would like to see a lot is people building with Polkadot's architecture first in mind. What I mean by this is if we just have builders in the ecosystem that see what's being popular on Ethereum, let's say, to put an example, right on smart contract platforms, and they just try to replicate the same on Polkadot. True, it would work. It could be very successful and everything, but you're not taking the most advantage of the unique architecture that Polkadot can give you, right? Polkadot will have, in the long run, in my opinion, a very nice use case of all this fabric of interconnected heterogeneous chains being used all at the same time, right? And each and each one of these being super um, productive uh, into into their own development. I think that we we will be seeing a lot of things in the near future in that in that sense. Um, but also all these other purchases, as I was saying before, coming into fruition. I mean, even Ayuna Network, the one that I was mentioning before, they also have a patch you know, on Kusama called Bayun. And they got like a thousand users in a week, right? Uh, when they lo started launching their own their own games as well. So it's time, right? Uh, and and it's ba this balancing act between development and users that that we need to be very careful of. Right. Okay. If somebody wants to become involved in in Polkadot, for example, and become a validator or something like that, what does yeah. that do you do? You need to just sort of. Uh, uh, stake some uh, some dots, or uh, do you have to run a node? Like, how does that how does that work exactly? Yeah, so there's there's Polkadot has this uh, when when it comes to staking specifically, Polkadot has this very unique proposition called nominated proof of stake. It's not only proof of stake, so different to Ethereum where you need 32 ETH to run your, to run a node. On Polkadot, the amount of stake that you need to actually run a node depends on what other nodes have, right? So it just picks the top. X percent, I don't remember right now, the actual number, and that is actually changing, but whatever number it is. But if you're not an active validator, you can be a nominator, right? And you can nominate from one dot. So okay. if you just have one dot, I will start, start earning stake on that. You can be, you can delegate that dot to one of these nominating pools and the pool will start giving you rewards. If you want to be a direct nominator, you can do that as well. If you want to be a validator, you can do that as well. Each of these steps require a bit more stake. But in essence, if you want to start earning rewards on your DOT by participating on the network security from one DOT, you can already do it. 
And does, of, yeah. does that require you running a, a node or do you just no. rules? Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to be um, a validator, yes, you need to run a node. But if you want to be a nominator or if you want to delegate your tokens to a nomination pool, you don't need to run a node. You can actually check the Polkadot staking dashboard which is uh, which has been launched like six six months ago, more or less, that allows you to do all of these processes quite easily, right? You can do it from ledger devices and all of that, so it's it's quite secure as well. Cool. Um, so I guess that's 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 all great stuff. So maybe one uh, one last question is uh, how you see the the future. I mean, you talked a little bit about this balancing between uh, the developer base and the user base, and sort of how more and more of these uh, parachains are probably going to uh, attract uh, their own users, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, one of the things that, you know, I've heard people say is that they see the future as being multi-chain and that essentially there will be less and less differentiation between um, different blockchains. Uh, what is your vision for the future of this kind of maybe maybe speak a little bit about your future, uh, your vision for the future of Web3 and how Polkadot mm -hmm. fits in it uh, and, and how Polkadot will develop in this future. So it's, it's quite hard to, to know exactly what the future will look like, right? So the way that I, I always try to, to go around these things is asking people that I think are, are smart, what they think, and from their opinions, try to build what I think it's it's my personal opinion as well. And, and, and a couple of years ago, I had a chat with, with this person that I respect a lot, and, and he he basically used the reference to operating systems on computers right now. If you look at computers, there's basically three operating systems today, Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, right? Each has different flavors and everything, but in the end, it's these three main things. And if you were to port this thing to the blockchain world, the way that I conceptualize this is you have Bitcoin as one of these things, right? Because I think I don't think that Bitcoin is going to go anywhere uh, anytime soon. Then you have the systems that have one virtual machine that could be on different charts or on one central chain, like Ethereum and all their layer tools, all running the Ethereum virtual machine. But in the end, it's the same quote-unquote computer that runs your programs. So you're bounded to those um, limits. And the last piece of this puzzle is the systems of heterogeneous shards, right? Now, very specific systems that need to run their own shard, that they all share the same level of security and can talk to each other. What I think will happen in the future, maybe, I don't know, it's one of each of these sections will win or will be the predominant uh, system. The winner of all this, of, of uh, each winner of all these three possibilities, are going to be very tightly connected to one another in very secure ways. And the rest of the things that we see out there will align into these things. They will either become a smart contract on this sharded um, 1VM system, or they become part of uh, of a, a, be a, a parachain, let's say, on Polkadot or any other multi-sharded system, right? And if you look at it, right, from, from the most successful ecosystems, it sort of like makes sense. Bitcoin in itself, there's no there's no real competition for systems like Bitcoin, like sort of like Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Then if you go to this um, one VM in one or multiple shards, you have Ethereum as, as 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 the main leader, but then you have things like Solana, like Cardano, like things of the sort that try to do that same thing. And then if you go into multi-sharded systems, you have Avalanche, you have Polkadot, you have Cosmos, you have the, this sort of things, right? And personally, the way that I view it is in this multi-sharded systems, Shared security and decentralized interoperability between the systems is going to be what's going to be the deciding factor here. Um, I do think that Polkadot is front running that or is sort of like leading that charge. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens in the future, right? Uh, I, of course, have my bet on Polkadot as, as the leading system here. But if I were to have the crystal ball here, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing, right? Uh, but that is the way that I sort of like conceptualize this for, for the future. Great. Um, so I lied. I do have one last question. Um, okay. For let's say that you are working in the sort of the arts and culture industry, 
Um, what are some things that you would say are attractive to for, for, for that kind of audience to, to find in the Polkadot ecosystem that they might uh, not find elsewhere or that you think is built better on Polkadot versus another another uh, uh, environment? Mm -hmm. So one thing that, that, I, that I think on that regard is there's a lot of fuss lately around account obstruction on, on Ethereum, right? Software in itself, the SDK that you would use to build parachains on Polkadot already has that. And it has had that for like years now. Uh, and, and that is because you could decide whatever logic you want uh, for your users to have, right? So you could decide, I don't know, that for uh, this sort of users, they will not pay gas fees, for example. You can do that on your chain, on your own software chain. So I think that for the art space, um, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to see somebody creating a chain that would allow artists to develop in, in a very seamless way, right? Where all these complexities of the Web3 are obfuscated, that you cannot see them anymore. And, and for this sort of like art space, um, in general, for it to be massively adopted, I think that's one of the things that's going to it's going to bring a, a, big, a bit of a revolution, right? Um, I hope to see that, right? I talked with a, a bunch of, of projects in the past that were like dealing in, in the art space, uh, whether that was like NFTs or art galleries or things like that, right? And always, always, always the main um, issue was how to deal with all this complexity. And, and I do think that Subtrade in itself is in a very good position to, to offer solutions to obfuscate this. But what we need for that to happen is somebody that can bridge the gap between what needs to be obfuscated and how much and has the ability to understand the technical nuances on building your own system. When we find that, then I think that the poker in itself is, is in a good position to start onboarding a lot of artists and have them spread their own, their own arts to the world. Yeah, I think you have a really good point there. The 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 what I'm seeing a lot is uh, developers building these these tools where all of the makings of concepts like NFTs are there. Mm -hmm. They're just hidden and they're they're never mentioned as being an NFT, but really that's what they are. Um, exactly. And and that kind of thing I think is going to help adoption where a lot of the, the 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 sort of fear you have of dealing with something oh it's nfts oh it's crypto will go away because it'll be hidden but it's just the foundational uh architecture of the of the way you're interacting with with yeah. other people with projects things like that in 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 the end what, what you're looking for i guess as an artist is to have um full confidence of ownership right uh, and to be able to trade that and that is something that blockchains can definitely do. Call it NFTs, call it whatever you want. But that is the, the core essence of blockchains, right? And and I think that, that yeah, we could provide that value in, in a great way. Awesome. Well, that was great. Thank you very much for providing us with this all this insight on on Polkadot and uh, and the parachains. Um, is there uh, anything you'd like to say before we we wrap up about uh, Polkadot, its future, the arts, or did we cover it all? I think we covered pretty much all. Um, I mean, I, I, I like a lot talking about this, right? And thank you very much for having me over. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about what the future holds, not only for Polkadot, but for the crypto space in general, right? Uh, and, and I'm very much looking forward to see how it evolves. Um, I, I try to be sort of like active on Twitter. So if anybody has any other questions or anything, uh, they could definitely reach me out there. My handle is at Santi Balagara. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically it, right? Whoever has any questions or whatever, I'm always more than happy to chat. Great. Thanks. We'll put your handle in the show notes and, uh, thanks again so much for joining us and for taking the time. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Have a great day. Thanks.